Welcome back uh, for podcast episode two here at Irish Seed Savers. Um, in our first podcast, uh, Deirdre invited the community to come and explore our 20 acre site here in Scarif. Um, it's a great time to visit. And um, in this podcast, we'd like to give you a, a tour to describe all the wonderful things that are happening here at the moment. And um, also to let you know that as part of the Scarif Harbour Festival, we will be offering free guided tours at 11am and 3pm on Saturday, the 30th of July. Uh, so we'd like all the community to come down and uh, explore what we have here on site. And we're going to tell you all a little bit about it now in a couple of minutes. Myself and Jeremy Turkington, the uh, orchard manager. Hi Jim. So this is, I suppose, a nice place to start our tour, Jim. Um, this is just work we've been doing Throughout the winter we got involved in a project called the Hare's Corner Project and it was a great opportunity to look at how we manage water on our site and various other habitats. So in front of you now we're looking at a pond that was excavated. You can see damselflies there, water lilies, these have all colonised since we've, we've dug it out. There's yellow flag iris, um, this is watercress. So all these plants weren't here um, six months ago and now they've they've slowly colonized so it's just a good example and um, if you come down it'd be good yeah. good to witness and the water seeps in from the surrounding hills it's not a stream going no through. it was it was a small drain and then we decided we had excavated out further and and that's what we've done and we've already we can see newts frogs the small fish in here within a few days of digging it we had herons we had a pair of ducks nesting here and um, so it's just it's just amazing how fast wildlife can find find an area if you if you create it for them yeah there's a few i just noticed a couple of very colorful um creatures skimming the surface yeah, with a, a guy there with a long blue yeah damselflies um, we've body on him dragonflies here as well yeah, it's, it's lovely to see. Okay, so we'll we'll move on a bit further. We'll move on uh, another bit. So we've moved down now to the car park here beside the road. Yeah, and we're just looking at uh, a good example of an ancient craft called hedge laying, which we which we did also during the winter. Uh, there was a guy, Evan McLaughlin, from the Irish Hedge Laying uh, Association, and he came and he he did this it's a, it's just an it's an old way of managing hedges without having to use flails or machinery and um it's really it's just we cut the stems when they're when the sap's just going down in them uh Eamon cut them one eighth across and then bent them over and weaved them through and it's yeah it's just a lovely example so we're we're beside a, a hazel tree yes and uh, the the portions that are the laterals that are coming across are still growing they're still growing yeah. because we can see the, uh, even the, the hedge has it's hazelnuts in there yeah it's starting to shoot it's all yeah. come up well and Mary actually wrote your sister Mary wrote an article for a newsletter talking about your father and she called used the term stretch in a ditch yes um, so that was the old term used locally in Scarf and around Clare 
and uh, yeah, it's just nice to bring these crafts back and yeah. as a model or an example to landowners who come who come to seed service. Yeah, just it would be done. It would be it would be done regularly with white thorn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean that would have the thorns and will provide a fairly good. Yeah. Um, but that's how I have never seen it done with hazel before. Yeah, so. There is some white thorn in here, and there's, there's this section's mostly hazel. And you can see we used we coppiced a lot of hazel out and used it to stake, used the stakes to to keep it all together. Yes, and so. I suppose eventually those stakes will 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 rot or yeah, will that, that, that and but it'll leave the that have done their purpose. Yes, for holding it all together. And it's amazing the amount of wildlife and birds that have already found nests in it within a few months when the birds were nesting. They've already sort of they find their way there yeah and um yeah okay we'll move on further we'll go up into the orchard okay. yeah well jeremy we've crossed the road come across from the car park up by some buildings to the older part of irish seed savers where are we now this is a we call it lamb's hill orchard um this is you're right this will be one of the oldest orchards this is one of the first sections of land that Seed Savers acquired. We're adjacent to Anita's garden. Um, Tommy and Anita are founders there. That was their house down there. And then they started Seed Savers in this garden. And then they, this was the first piece of land they acquired extra. So you can see the trees here are all of uh, the, some of the oldest trees we have on our site. And they're all from the Dr. The Lamb Clark collection. Um, Dr. Keith Lamb was kind of instrumental in the collection and preservation of the apple trees that we have here today. He wrote his thesis, his doctoral thesis in UCD or Rosemont College as it was then in the mid 50s uh, and he went round Ireland on a bicycle and he recorded old orchards and old varieties and um, that thesis is kind of the blueprint of what we based our whole conservation strategy around. Um, they had he had collected the varieties he recorded in that thesis at Rosemont College in in Dublin, but the Dublin Corporation they were they needed social housing, so it was destroyed when they were building Ballymun, including the seeds, just the trees themselves. So yes. that we lost the genetic kind of bank. Now, luckily, at the time we had sent. They had sent um, some of the varieties over to Brogdale Research Station in Kent in England, in East Malling. So some of the varieties were held there. So when Anita, Anita started Seed Savers, she went about trying to trying to rediscover where all these varieties were and start from scratch. And luckily, at that time, Dr. Keith Lamb was still alive. So Anita met up with him and then they started the process of trying to collect all these old varieties again. Yes. Um, and they, they did, they managed to get a lot of the varieties back from, that were sent over to East Malling, and then the varieties that had been lost, they, they set about going to try and find them again. Yes, yeah, so he, he would have, Dr. Lamb would have put together a list, presumably, of the orchards that he had visited. Yeah, he documented all the orchards and he documented what varieties were in them. Um, and in that thesis, I think there's 68 varieties, and we are still finding some of those varieties we haven't got them all yet but for example those he mentioned a variety called sweet william and we only discovered that in 2016 in a private collection in america and uh we got the the material sent back over and managed to graft it and it fitted all the descriptions that he described so it was lost in ireland completely and uh luckily 
most likely it was brought over to America during the famine and um, it was grown there so that's where it showed up so the, the research is still ongoing it's constant so um, tell me how would you if, if you knew for example that a lost variety like Sweet William existed in America having been brought over there maybe up to 150 to 200 years ago when you say we brought back the material just tell us what you mean how, how is that done uh, we brought basically we, we, we graft apple trees we clone them we don't grow them from seeds so we would take a piece of cyanwood off the trees in America and we got them posted back to Ireland and then we bud grafted them onto rootstocks here at Seed Savers and then we grew them out and then now it's kind of the second generation material from that we've bud grafted again so we've got a supply of Sweet Williams to distribute around the country Yes. so by, by taking a piece of wood from the tree yes. and grafting it onto any type of root or a, a, we, yeah, some we, type. we have specific rootstocks that we use but traditionally in Ireland it would have been a seedling rootstock so you'd have taken an apple a seed out of an apple, grown it and then used that sapling to graft the known variety onto the sapling. So what emerges after that graft is the Sweet William. It's yes. it's, it's a genetic clone. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're it's like copy and paste. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Copy and paste, that's a good way of putting okay. it. I heard it described once as putting the head of a scientist onto the body of an athlete. <laughs> yes. And you get and the let's say the fruit that comes from that then uh, and the seeds you get can be can be grown on yeah well if we grow from seed we will we won't get a true variety still still worth doing but it's like i suppose you would describe what we have here at seed savers as a as a library or a museum where we just hold the collection um and we and we just clone and graft that way we don't grow Mm. from seed but there are breeding programs uh coming up to try and find uh, genetics for resistance and disease resistance and um but you will get a true copy if if you graft if you graft yeah yeah, yeah. so we're on our way uh now um Gillian from Anita's garden or from Dr Lamb's garden to Anita's garden that's right and you'll notice as we came through all the little mown pathways in uh, Lamb's orchard there how all the the butterflies are fluttering up to meet us yes and how you can see all the fruitlets which are the little tiny apples starting to bud on all of the apple trees so it's a great time to come and see uh, the abundance that nature provides for us um, as we we enter into Anita's garden here we're kind of met by the lovely fragrance of uh, a lovely rose bush and um, we have many of them throughout the site so for any rose lovers out there you're uh, welcome to come on down and have a sniff yes <laughs> and uh, as, as we enter we're kind of greeted by a big wall of of, of really vibrant yellow um, and it's actually parsnip going to seed um, it's about probably five or six foot tall and uh, it's quite impressive it's very colorful and uh, we'll wait now until about august when it dries out and then we will harvest it and dry it for seed and make it available for sale so in in our home garden now we would we cut the parsnip and use it at a certain stage yeah but if you let it if you if you let it alone it will go to seed like this and all you have to do is keep it aerated at the bottom cut off the the bottom you know the bottom branches and that way it stops it from going moldy and then all the seed at the top will continue to dry successfully and when will that be ready it won't be ready to i'd say it would be august and then we would bring it in we would bring it into the solarium where it will dry and then it would be further processed into a drying room 
to make sure all of the moisture is removed from the seed and then only then will it be packed and stored. Okay, so that seed will be you know sold for let's say for planting next year yes or for that's right yes year. so th- this variety of parsnip will be in our 2023 seed catalogue which will come out in december 2022 okay yeah Lovely. we have willow here on our left hand side and we we have willow yes and as we come around the corner you'll see that we have our other variety of crops in behind here in behind the parsnip we have chard we have quinoa and we have a selection of flowers um, including sweet william, echinacea and sweet pea and they're all on the right and over on the left we have a selection of plants that are used for dyeing as in dyeing, dyeing clothes, dyeing linen yes. so we have weld, woad and madder so yes. these would have all been traditionally used to, to dye fabric and still are today yes and what are, are, is there a variety of colours? there is a variety of colours they would mainly end up being yellows and greens yeah, when you when you actually use them for for the dyeing process. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas they don't actually look that color when they actually grow. Yes. For example, yeah. the woad would dry to kind of a, a purpley color, um. But as you say, the weld and the matter, they would be more the yellow ones, and the woad you get more of a, a deeper color. Very good. So it's not just about apple trees here. It's not just about apple trees, and you can also see here this arch is actually a vine. Um, it's actually a grapevine, and we have our grapes growing here. And we also have over, you can see the beautiful orange colours of the runner beans standing up there behind the rhubarb. Um, And yeah, so we we have a a host of things grown here for everybody to come and see. Would you actually get grapes? We do, we do. And you'll see later on in one of our polytunnels down the back that it is completely full of bunches of grapes. They're still green at the moment, but um, they will turn into a lovely kind of a, a red grape. Yes. And uh, they are quite sweet. They're small now, but sweet and yes. quite edible. Um, and then, yeah, out here, we got some outdoor grown crops too. We have outdoor tomatoes and outdoor courgettes and pumpkins. While uh, we grow an awful lot inside in the polytunnel, we do have uh, some outdoor crops too. Outdoor edible crops. Yes, yeah. lovely. Yeah. yeah, beautiful, airy place here. It is, isn't it? Say. It is. It is. And then if we come up the top, I'll describe to you about the view. Okay. So as we as we come up to the top um, of Anita's garden, um, it's a little bit of an incline, but there is a lovely seat here for for the walker to have a rest. And if you turn around, um, you can take in the beautiful view of Sleeve Berna and Moilusa over on the right. Yes. And uh, it's a fantastic spot. Uh, just even to have a picnic or just sit down and take it all in. It's just fabulous. Yeah, you can see Sleeve Barn and Mylussa higher than anything else across, obviously, to Ogunalo. You can see down towards the 12 o'clock hills, uh, which is beyond Kilkishan near Six Mile Bridge. Absolutely fabulous. Absolutely, it's worth coming up for this alone. It is, it is. It's a beautiful spot. Everybody loves the view from here and uh, are quite surprised that it actually is here because you kind of don't realise it as you come in. But as you say, we're on quite a height, um, various parts of the site. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely uh, worth making your way through Anita's garden. Lovely. Well, Jeremy, we're in a, a darkened part of the woodland here um, under an ash tree. But uh, strapped onto the ash tree, maybe about, what, 10, 15 feet above the ground, is uh, it's like a little tree house. It is, Jim, yes. This is um, this is what we call a log hive. Um, at Seed Savers, we are we're really 
promoting the, the plight of pollinators, but uh, more specifically the plight of the native Irish black honeybee. Um, so this is our this is our strategy to really try and preserve the the genetic character of, of black honeybees. They're facing a lot of threats um, from disease, varroa mite, and lack of habitat. So really what you see up above us is us trying to create habitat for for these insects because they're, they're boreal insects they're totally adapted to living in native in Irish native temperate rainforest really so what we've done is hollowed out a series of logs we did a few workshops on how to make these and we've we've erected them up in the trees and we've baited them with old comb and and lemongrass oil and as you can see the the swarms of the black honeybees have find new homes in them. Yeah, you've drilled a number of holes around the, in, yeah. in various parts of the hollowed out trunk. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can see the bees um, very busy there flying yeah. in and out. They're very at home there and they're, they're vital for us because all our seeds and vegetables, they're open pollinated so we really, they really serve us well here as well as the orchard. You can see the amount of fruit on our apple trees and uh, that's thanks to these little, these little guys. How does that differ now from, let's say, the conventional hive that somebody might have at the bottom of their garden? Um, well, we call this tree beekeeping or, or more bee-centred beekeeping. Really, we're letting these bees go through their natural processes. Um, they're able to... We're allowing them to swarm, whereas in conventional beekeeping, we're not letting, not letting them swarm. So, uh, and unfortunately they're used for honey so beekeepers would tend to take honey and then feed them with a sugar solution so we're we're not taking any honey off these uh, log hives we're just allowing them to really just try and develop resistance and get healthy progeny and uh, we have beekeepers coming to us now looking looking bees from our log hives because they're so healthy and resilient yes. um so that's that's the way and how long has this been here though this log hive has been here for two years uh, we've had a colony in it but all the rest we've erected uh, in February and we actually transitioned because we did have two log or two con national hives on site and we we made a thing called a transfer hive where we can take the frames from those and put them into a big log and then just that kind of has kick-started the process some of the swarms from those transfer hives have found their way into into the log hives and also into some of our buildings too yes so you literally um, gave them a little sweetener to we did. to come in, we did. and uh, and that worked. That's worked, yeah. We just we're trying to mimic the the scent of what in Ireland we we used to have huge old trees or hollowed out trees, but there's a kind of a long standing tradition where we don't leave de dead or dying trees, and that's that's the homes that the bees really want. Everything gets cleared or used for firewood, and um, so they, they've really lost that habitat, and um, we're just trying to. To recreate that and give them a bit of a, a bit of a fighting chance, you know. Yes, lovely. Well, I've never seen anything like that before, Derby. Well, we've come through the most beautiful woodland here, Jeremy, and we've come out into a little clearing where, what do we find? More apple trees. Yeah, we have seven orchards on site, but this, this one's a special one. This is called Tommy's Self-Rooting Orchard. 
named after Tommy Hayes because he had a, a pre preoccupation with self-rooting apple trees. Now self-rooting, we talked a little bit about grafting earlier, but it's tradition in Ireland for births, deaths and marriages that you can, some varieties you can just grow from cuttings, um, especially on the western seaboard counties these apple these self-rooting varieties they grow really well in acid upland soils and on the coast because they have such a deep taproot that can draw in minerals from from a wider range and that they're less they're less likely to have wind through so that this whole orchard is dedicated to those varieties if you look jim you can see on these apple trees these fir nuts yes these are this is on four-year-old wood so a technique would be to cut that there and they're called pitchers because you just pitch them in the ground and they grow yes so th th this is this is really a phenomenon because our climate's so wet and damp and temperate that this is a phenomenon largely you see it a lot in the Irish heritage collection that we we're maintaining here um, so they're very interested and this variety we're looking at it's called hearties and Tommy found it up near Flagmount, the man called Brenton Hardy is one tree at the back of his old cottage. And uh, we've had a DNA anal analysed and it's it come back as unique. So, um, so we've maintained it in the collection. Yeah, It is amazing that uh, you can grow things. I know flowers as well, some breeds will go from, from cuttings. Yeah. But um, that you can just literally stick a bit of... Yeah. of this branch yeah. in the ground yeah. and it will root yeah. and it was common practice and especially in, in in Clare where if say someone got married on a farm and they would want to move their orchard or up to the next farm you know or if there was a, a birth or a marriage that was a common practice where you would pitch an apple tree to, to celebrate that and clone your own orchard at home clone your own orchard and they're very resilient like there's very they are if we're thinking about climate and biodiversity, these trees, they're, they're important for the future. Their genetics are, are because they're, adap they're adapted to this wet temperate climate. So they're, and their genetics will be more important in the future. So yeah. it's really important to preserve. Presumably these. it's important to know where exactly you're cutting, the, where you take the cutting from, yeah. maybe how you cut it. Yeah, and time of year as well. But if, generally four-year-old wood and if you leave see, you can see the two-year-old and one-year-old wood there just leave a few buds there and if you put this into soil not compost just topsoil generally they will they will take root yes and you can see beside us this is a this is a variety that was just donated to us recently by, by a priest father Kieran Burke um, from Mayo and this is another example of a tree that went from Mayo to America and then has found its way back. So <laughs> the Americans have done a, a good bit for heritage apple tree conservation. And um, now we're sending this off to, to, to get DNA profiled the leaves. And he just had one cut and the actual, the original tree, both in America and in Mayo is, is gone. And this was just a cutting he had in a pot and then yes. went back to see the tree. So he's donated it to us. Would, you, would it be true to say that, uh, you know, Centuries ago, there was a lot of expertise in relation to apples and apple trees and, and how to propagate them, and that perhaps we lost a good bit of that. I would, yeah, I would say that. Well, it's, be, it's because they had to. A lot of these self-rooting varieties we used as animal fodder as well, um, as well as sustaining the human population, I suppose. So they had to, we had to know, know what food grew well here and understand it more, and 
it was just it was in the DNA of how to propagate things and that's why you can see it if you go into schools um, I grow a lot of native trees in schools like the kids it's just hardwired into them to know how to deal with seeds and and propagate and grow but as everything if you don't get them when they're young enough they get to 12 and they go into teenagers and off to university and they become yeah. pilotless planes almost but they assume as you know, all, as you know yourself Jim if you get children when they're young they'll always come back to it you know yes they assume all apples come from the supermarket exactly yes exactly. that's why we do a lot of forest schools and bring kids out here so to try and show them otherwise we'll go down this way So we're emerged again uh, out onto the road uh, and we're here at, with Irish Seed Savers in Caparoo and I'm with Gillian and Jeremy and uh, we're looking across the, the hill there to uh, Nakaveen uh, and through the left here to Paula Gower. So um, we're really in the, in the middle of the country, Jeremy. We are, yeah. And if you look to your right here, Jim, this is another Clare variety that we maintain in the National Collection. This is called custard scarlet and if you look at the little fruitlets you can already see this apple is a very oblong funny shape of an apple it's very elongated yes and it has oval shaped oval shaped and it has these ridges and it grows to be a huge apple and as the name suggests custard scarlet it has it's a deep custardy yellow with blushes of, of red going through it's very attractive apple and uh, it's a dual purpose apple. A lot of the apples in our collection, we call them dual purpose. Um, they, you'd st in September, when we'd harvest them, you'd collect them and you could use them for baking uh, and culinary purposes. And then if you wrap them and store them, they will sweeten in storage. So that was, that's how we generally got the most out of out of the apples we grew in Ireland. So how long would they would they keep when you wrap them in what, in newspaper? We'd wrap them in newspaper, yeah. And um, some apples vary. We have early apples that don't keep very long and uh, we've mid-season apples. The idea in traditional orchards was that you would have fresh apples right the way from middle of August, sometimes July, right the way through to the following March or April. So you would have your early apples, which you'd basically eat from the tree or eat within a week. They were just eaten fresh. Then you have your mid-season apples that uh, you would use throughout the autumn. Um, some of those will store well, some of them not so well. And then you'll have your late apples and a lot of the late apples, they will be harvested in November, uh, some into December. And those are the apples that will mostly sustain you right the way through to the following spring. So that was the idea in, in old orchards. You'd have at, you'd have maybe 20 trees and you'd each of the trees would provide you a different apple at certain times of the year, you know. Would you have apples now, for example, and maybe we're straying a bit off topic, that would be particularly good for juicing? Yeah, and we would have apples as well that are particularly good for cider and as well. A lot of the mid-season apples we you could use for for juice um, but it's just if you put a blend of apples together generally they all taste the juice will come out yes. fairly fairly similar you know okay. so we've moved down the road a bit uh, another clear tree this is yeah this is called the the Ballyvaughan seedling this is another variety that was found by Anita there was three different sites in Ballyvaughan and uh, they all had the same variety so that's what when we talk about heritage apples we we kind of narrow it down and we try and discern whether this variety was distributed locally and this one was it's called the Ballyvaughan seedling it's a 
It's a, another dual purpose. We talked about dual purposes earlier, and uh, it's a fantastic tree. It grows a self-rooter, and it grows very well on the coast. So we get a lot of questions of people asking what grows well on the coast, because what can yes. take that Atlantic salt wind to a certain extent. So this would be one of the ones we'd recommend. And if you can grow it on its own roots, as opposed to grafting, all the better, because it can get that anchorage in and deal with the, deal with those yes. high winds. And tell me, we'll say, other than obviously sight, you wouldn't recognise one apple from another, but so many would look quite similar. So is it DNA that you turn to? Uh, we've, yes, we started a project in 2014. When Dr. Lamb and Anita started, it was all keys and books and sitting around looking and tasting a lot of different apples. But now with uh, sort of advents in technology, we're able to take a leaf sample and uh, profile it using genetic markers and then we can tell we've had we've had our whole collection we have 180 known Irish varieties in the collection and then we've other ones that we found in Ireland and we didn't know what they were but we've had all those DNA profiles so we now know what is genetically unique to the island of Ireland and then that is what that's our mission statement that's what we're trying to conserve um, some of the known UK varieties or European varieties they're, they're being conserved in those countries so our onus is to, is to identify and uh, preserve and conserve and utilise the varieties that we know are, are Irish okay. So we're in a, an opening now a fenced off area Jeremy where there seem to be a lot of apple trees um, have these been grafted? These, we've mentioned grafting earlier, yes, these have all been grafted. Um, we bench grafted these in the springtime and they've all been maintained and kept and these will go on sale now in September um, for sale to the public and they'll go into other projects. We mentioned the Hare's Corner that, that um, Burr and Bio are doing piloting in, in, in County Clare. So a lot of these apples will, will go to, to that project and be planted in orchards all around County Clare. And there's various varieties here. So this is we mentioned the uh, preservation, conservation, and utilisation. So the, this is where the utilisation comes in: is using the genetic resource and and getting it out to the public so they can enjoy in in their farms and parks and schools and get to taste the apples and get to know them and, and appreciate them and value them and maybe pass a few on to friends so they can do the same. So these have been grafted now from cuttings here in the orchard yes we collected the we collected the material when it's dormant in december so we went around and i cut it's one year old growth that's called the cyanwood or graftwood collected that labeled it wrapped it in newspaper and then we buried it until march and then when the sap's rising in the rootstock then we graft the the graft wood onto the rootstock and then we, we put it in pots and put it into the nursery here and this is what you see now so you could pretty much am i right in thinking that you could continue grafting from one tree as as more growth comes out on the tree or will a tree reach its limit in what it produces that you can graft uh, the parent trees that we have in the collection we we would be pruning them back anyway so we were just we're just collecting the the wood that we would be using we would be using that anyway you know yeah. um, so uh, there's no there's no limit a lot of the trees you see here we cut them back quite hard um, and you, 
so we get that good healthy growth material for this purpose you know so fruit is is good but it's kind of a byproduct of what we're what we're trying to achieve with the conservation of the varieties you know now it is good to it's like we maybe have four or five of different of the same variety in the collection and obviously some of those will have fruits like for example we'll we do tasting tours in september people come around the orchards and they, they see all the different apples and see what they like to try and taste so from that perspective it's good to have fruit on some of the trees and then other ones are used for the kind of more commercial end just to get really good material to graft from and that's really important so if you have really good material then you'll have really healthy healthy trees to yes. to distribute i'm looking forward to the to the tasting tours yeah, in september yeah, yeah, yeah. you're 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 going to be there <laughs> good Gillian, we've just um, moved inside to a lovely, warm, comfortable greenhouse. Yes, and you can hear all the bees buzzing around. Yes. Um, as you enter, you're greeted by some lovely marigolds. But above the marigolds um, is another site, which not many people see, which is radish going to seed. So it comes out with these beautiful, delicate white and pink flowers. And then these kind of pointed seed pods. And this is where the seed for the radish is. So eventually these will dry out and we will harvest them. So you can see there's a tiny little green seed in there, but he's not ready because obviously he's still moist. So these will these will dry out in a couple of weeks time and we will harvest them. And as I say, dry them uh, through the, the various drying processes. And um, over this side, we have some wild rocket. And all the way up to the roof, we have more runner beans. And actually, when you look back at the at the radish, it's called China Rose Radish, uh, is the heirloom variety. You can see that it's probably nearly seven foot tall as well. That's because your radish, now, to my mind, is a little ball. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's very, a little very ball. small. So if you if you see, if you take a look down here at the bottom, you can see that this is the actual radish itself down here. Um, the bulb of the, the plant and that then you, you can cut and that eat you would cut at, and at eat a very young stage at a very young stage but that they have just gone you know so big so tall and so robust and and the stem is quite sturdy as well um and so this is as you say how we get our seed yes yeah. and um if, if we travel on down here you can see we have some we have some true gold corn growing as well it's only in its infancy it's only quite small at the moment but i'd say by the end of the summer, this will be probably nearly up to the roof as well. Yeah, true gold corn, that's gold the variety. Corn. That's the variety. So all these little sign posts um, it, with the white and the green white writing on them, uh, they're done by our uh, garden team member, Phyllis, and uh, she puts all the lovely writing on them. Zau Fen. Zau Fen tomato. Tomatoes. Yeah, so you can you can see, and then if you, if you fancy a particular variety, you could take a little note of it and then wait for the seed catalogue to come out in uh, December and then you, you can select the variety. Yes. You can also see in here that we would, as I mentioned, the marigolds, but we'd also have um, lots of other flowers for, you know, the pollinators to attract them into the polytunnel. So here you can see the papivir poppy, which is quite a, a big tall poppy. It's a big purple poppy and it's quite kind of fluffy feathered leaves. So it's quite spectacular. And you can see that the pod heads on them too are like little crowns. So uh, they'll be dotted throughout the site and throughout all the polytunnels In order as well. to attract in the pollinators. Yeah, to attract in the pollinators. Who will, to, of course, to, pollinate yeah, the tomatoes and everything yeah, here. and everything, yeah. And then as we come down a little bit further, 
um, you'll see down here we we have um, runner beans and these haven't gone to seed yet what we have is the runner bean is actually growing so you can see the pod here is quite large at the moment you can see and they're quite kind of fluffy and furry but they actually have there's some of the flowers left and they're beautiful delicate um, I suppose kind of cream and black flowers and uh, they're very pretty and we'd also have you can see some beans and yes. peas starting to grow themselves purple varieties purple varieties and if you look up here ah, you can see yes. up above you up to the roof you can see all the bunches of grapes hanging from yes. the vine which is quite uh, amazing to see in Ireland but the, the growth there is of the grape is prolific isn't it it is the, the, the bunches of the grapes bunches, yes I know it's I mean there's so many bunches and there it's it's absolutely laden down with grapes yes it is and um yeah so quite worth the nibble Yes. If you can sneak in and just maybe take one. One, one, one or two just wouldn't take be one or, one or two. One or two wouldn't notice being missed. And can you make wine with those? I'm not want? sure, Jim. Yeah. Um, we, we've that's eaten them here for sure. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> well, um, I don't know if anybody's gone to the trouble of making wine. I but know. Well, you suppose yeah. you'd want a lot. You'd mm. want a lot, I suppose, to make wine. And as you say, but we, we could certainly give it a go if yeah. anybody. Uh, <laughs> but as grapes, like the like a bunch of grapes that you'd buy in the shop. Um, they they look small, but they're tasty. You say they are tasty. They're sweet and they're quite watery inside. You know, yes. they're not they're not very dense. They are they're so they're quite a tasty, sweet little grape, which we have all been known to nibble as we pass through. Yes. So tell me, what time of the year is do, do they ripen? I would say they wouldn't be ripe till August, September. Yes. Yeah, because yes. as you say, they're just green now. They're very green, so yes. we'll we'll have to wait for a lot of sun. Yes. And uh, hope it comes. Hopefully, we'll yeah. get it. Yeah. And we we'll see if we can get it. Great. Um, yeah, so if we if we come back out through the back door of this polytunnel, we're going to be greeted by our Brian Baru tree, which Jeremy will give you a little bit more information about. Lovely, we'll do that. Well, as Gillian said, we've emerged from the polytunnel, so we're here, uh, a solitary oak tree, in the centre of the field here, Jeremy. Yeah, Jim, this is this is a Wernanish glass, and this is. A seedling of the Brian Brew Oak, which was planted um, when seed seed was acquired this land back in 1999, I think it was planted in Heritage Week 1999 um, by by Ted Cook, who's been involved. He's a heritage specialist from West Cork, and he's been involved with seed savers from the start. But he planted it during then, and the tree we say that seed savers was 30 years old in 2001, so the tree is has kind of grown with seed savers throughout those years it's the same age and you can see by the character of it it's taken on the same character as the actual mother tree the brown brew oak in tomb Graney. it has that wide bowl and very multi-stemmed yes um, so and it's got full sun here so it's, it's very happy and it's actually itself it's you can see here little acorns starting to grow it's producing seed itself so we collect these seeds and we grow them on as well yes yeah really the the branches are are very I suppose horizontal, yeah, uh, and very, they look very strong. Yeah, and it's a, it's a whole little ecosystem. You can see the amount of mosses and lichens, and even around the ground, around it, the different plants and flowers it supports. So, yeah, it's a little, it's a little oasis. It does cover a lot of ground, doesn't it? It does indeed. Yeah, it's just got. It. We haven't we haven't touched a branch on it. We've just let it find its own character, and yes. we've just let it do its thing here. Lovely. Lovely tree for youngsters to climb. Yeah, it's a, it's, <laughs> it is a climbing tree. Any kids that are here for schools, they'll be up, up, 
up in the branches. Yes. And luckily it's not too tall. Yeah. It's not, doesn't pose any danger to them. Well, we've come away from the oak tree and uh, we've come across Damien and Surika who are working hard uh, here. Surika nicotina tobaccum. That's not what I think it is, is it? It is tobacco, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's grown for the flowers. Oh, yeah. Okay. You don't. Uh, you don't grow your own here. To no, no. Well, I certainly don't. Uh, yeah. But it is. I mean, you could. You could, for example, use that. Use the tobacco leaves to. I'm not sure about that, to be honest, because yes. I know there's different varieties of tobacco. Like this one would be grown uh, like as an ornamental flower, as far as I know. So, um, I, yeah. So I'm. I'm, yes. I'm not sure, basically. Okay, well, it certainly looks, I mean, they look lovely and healthy plants. Yeah, they do. That's and when, I wonder, will we expect flowers? I'm not sure about that, actually. Do you have any idea, yeah. Damien? Yeah, Damien. Uh, it'll be September, I'd say, at the earliest. We have a crop in the tunnel as well. So, I mean, it would be a warmer climate crop. So, um, yeah, we just, we thought we'd put it some here and there, and then pollinators would be able to travel between both of them. Yes. But we might only get seed off the crop in the tunnel. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... We'll see how it goes. If we have a warm sort of late summer autumn, we we might get something off these ones as well. And I suppose a lot of what you do here is by way of experimentation as well. Try something out and see how does it work. Yeah, like we have our kind of um, heritage Irish crops that you know we we know are going to work, and then we do kind of every now and again try a bit of an experiment with them. Um, something maybe from another part of the world that maybe has a similar climate. Yes. Like there's a lot of the crops coming from. South America, especially from the Andes at the moment, um, that are receiving a lot of attention. So we're trying to grow bits of those just to give that option to um, our customers. Okay. But, uh, and I see yeah. table talk peas, and they're they're really coming up. They're very tall. Yeah, they're about eight foot now. Uh, they're nice. Um, a lot of the older varieties did get a lot taller, and then a lot of the more commonly cultivated varieties now are actually smaller, and that's predominantly for. Um, uh, so the pea can be harvested by machine so um a lot of these older varieties like they have a lot of lot to offer but they're not really grown uh, especially by like a large-scale farmer yes. you only really see them in a, a home vegetable garden typically yeah. so if you can't operate a machine on them they don't use them yeah and it's a shame that kind of thing because you know that that causes the problems then of uh if they're selecting for certain traits like that you know maybe they're they're uh, missing out on some important genetics that we are preserving by keeping varieties like this alive. Okay, and I see um, Surica there. Um, I see nasturtium here in front of me. Mm-hmm. I presume that's to attract the pollinators. Uh, yeah, it has that function, but also like again for the flowers. Um, uh, nasturtiums are edible. The flowers are edible. The leaves are also edible. So even just as a as a food crop, um, it's it's a good one to have as well. Yeah, very mm-hmm. good. And I see turnips over here on the far side. Um, are they? They're obviously being grown for seed. Uh, yes, yes, they are. Okay, um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a malsanepe turnip. So a turnip different from what a lot of people would call a turnip botanically. We would call it a swede. So these are kind of a, a smaller, still from the brassicas family, but um, yeah, a smaller vegetable. So we had an earlier crop in the tunnel and again we, we trialled some outside so they're almost ready. We have a net over them here just to keep the birds off them. Um, you kind of you need that really with any of the brassica family just to otherwise you're really you're feeding just the birds. feeding the birds and yeah. you don't get much for yourself. So um, yeah they'll be harvested now in the next 
definitely sometime in July we'll just keep a close eye on them and once we're we're happy that we've got a good level of maturity we'll bring them into our solarium and, and, and dry, dry them out, out that little that last bit and we'll we'll keep as much stock as possible so that um the seeds can mature that last bit okay well listen it's great talking to you Damien and Sorica we've kept you idle for long enough so we'll let you back to work thanks very much thanks very much now Jim so uh, I'm glad you enjoyed your uh, guided tour of yeah. Irish seed savers yeah, and uh, we had a great afternoon your, your exploration through Anita's garden through the various orchards into the polytunnels and, and the chat with the garden team um, as I say come on down we have the free guided tours on Saturday the 30th of July for the Scariff Harbour Festival and we also for any apple enthusiasts out there or anybody that's kind of considering getting an apple tree but kind of not sure what they want we have our apple tasting tours in September and they're available to book on our website irishseedsavers.ie and it's 15 euro for the tour but it's certainly well worth it and you get to taste all the different varieties of heritage apples that we would have available at that given time and then you can make your choice depending on um, your own taste buds it's quite an individual thing and what i might think is sweet and juicy you might think is sour Um, so it's it's quite individual you know even though um, you know the, the apple could be described as you know an eater but it mightn't be an eater to my tasting but it might be an eater to your tasting so then I would prefer a different variety to you so uh, so it's always worth your while to uh, come down and have a go at the tasting tour and uh, just experience the taste of the uh, heritage apples because um, they do have different tastes and different textures and different colours and uh, to uh, experience rather than your you know shop bought apple okay and also like that by it's kind of a way as well to engage with our own uh, food cultural heritage okay so I presume that people don't even have to wait for the harbour festival if they're interested in getting uh, seeds or getting something uh, yes, they, can, see, they can drop yeah, out and they, they and can ask. drop down yeah they can the seeds are available to buy in our shop um, which is open Tuesday to Saturday and um, they're also if they can't get down as far as us here in Capa Row, they're available to buy online on the shop as well lovely so there's no excuse no excuse come on <laughs> down grow your heirloom seeds and your heritage apple trees anyway. and, and pay us a visit and explore the wonderful food crop heritage we have here at Irish Seed Savers ok well we're exploring Irish Seed Savers here on Scariff Bay Community Radio so my thanks uh, to you Gillian and today uh, to Jeremy Thank you, uh, for the guided tour today. Not and hopefully people will come and enjoy it. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Okay. <laughs>